Hello and welcome to Too Much Time On Our Hands, the theatrical cut. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to us talk about the Mission Impossible films. I like what you did there. Thank you. I'm oh, Terry. Not, I didn't press record. I'm joking. Fucking <laughs> hell. The best intro I've ever done and you fucked it for me. Uh, I'm Terry and as ever I'm joined by Sonia. Hello dear. So, as, as we mentioned, we're here to talk about and eventually rank the Mission Impossible films. So, at the end of, not last week, the week before for you guys, we picked Tom Cruise out of the hat. And immediately, me and Sonia were both like, well, it's the Mission Impossible films are his best films. So, we thought, let's give them an episode all to themselves, and then we can worry about everything else. Um, and we quite soon realised that they're all actually pretty fucking good. And it's... It's been quite the... Tr- we've Many a WhatsApp message has gone with, mm. have you made a decision yet? No. We're, we're pretty set on a couple of positions, possibly the bottom one. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk through the films in chronological order, and then at the end we'll sort of surmise and and give our ranking. And we've got some, some listener feedback as well on what other people think about the Mission Impossible films. Um, can I just say something? If you must. Um... Yeah, so obviously, as Terry said, we decided to talk about Tom Cruise um, and very shortly after realised that, uh, well, quite how many films he'd done, but also that we were struggling to pick a favourite Mission Impossible film, which is why Terry said we decided to do a Mission Impossible episode and um, everything else episode. Um, This is possibly the most fun I've had sort of researching an episode if you like, um, because I fucking love the Mission Impossible films, yeah. but it's also been one of the hardest things I've had to do. And like, like you said, we've had many, many conversations about this, and I've normally like, we don't talk between pods. No, um, and almost everyone I've come into contact with, I've had quite an in-depth conversation about what's your favourite Mission Impossible film, and let's let's talk about these. Have you ever tried to put them in order? And like sitting in a cafe with my dad, <laughs> right, scribbling on the back of an envelope, so going, no, 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 number two is the one where this happens. Oh, yeah. What about number three? Well, I think that's the other thing with the Mission Impossible. You can have, like, your favourite films, but even if you're not, it's not your favourite film, they've all got amazing elements. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it's not a brilliant film, but that happens in that one, and that bit's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this has been quite the impossible mission, um, to try and put these in order, but we have, but like Terry said, we're going to talk about them one to six, and then we've almost agreed Yeah. on an order, haven't we? Yeah, but mine changes depending on which way the wind blows, so... Yeah. Um, right, let's start off with the very first Mission Impossible film, then. So, yeah, so we go all the way back to 1996. Wow, um, a year after I left school. It was the year I started secondary school. All right, dickhead. <laughs> it's not often I get to feel young in a room these days. Um, so this one was directed by Brian De Palma. So at this point, obviously, it was the franchise start. It was just a film being made based on the 80s TV show. Yeah. Have you ever seen the TV show? I've seen odd episodes. I've never seen it. Um, someone who I spoke to actually said, given the option, they would have chosen the series over any of the films. Okay. Um, so... It was the first like big action tentpole like Tom Cruise film. So with this film, it's more of a detective noir whodunit mm. type film. So I mean, I guess we're going to talk spoilers in this one because, as we said, it's over twenty years old. 
So it starts with a mission that Ethan and his team on, led by Jim Phelps, played by John Voigt. So Tom Cruise plays Ethan Hunt. As if that needs to be said. Um, And the mission goes horribly alright. Everyone bar Tom Cruise and the girl. The girl, yeah, Yeah. that's fine. And the girl are killed. Essentially, the IMF think that Ethan is responsible and he is the one that's selling secrets to Max. Uh, So the whole MacGuffin of this film is the Knocklist, which is the alternative identities of every other agent um, that's been stolen. And they think that he's done it and he essentially goes on his own mission to free him, to clear his name and find the person responsible for killing his team. Um, And as I say, it's more of a, a whodunit I mean, some of the things I've got written down is so. Obviously, we go into the credits with the fuse and stuff. Those credits are incredibly spoilery. The very last shot of the film is in those credits, but you're just not paying attention mm. to it in that sense. You're just watching it and seeing little clips from films. But there's the bit where he puts on his glasses so that he's showing everyone who he's looking at, and that's actually in the credits. Um, the one thing I mean, we've spoken about these films. We've gone in. I just love how shit the tech and the internet is in this film. Yeah. So he's got a laptop that is about 15 inches deep. <laughs> it must weigh a ton. It, yeah. it probably weighs as much as those 50p's. Yeah. It would be quite the workout lifting that laptop. And he's in these chat rooms, and they are literally, it's like the old BBC computers you had at school, yeah. where it's just, just, just lovely, lovely stuff. Um, he saves things onto a floppy disk. I yeah, think. he saves things onto an actual floppy disk, and he does a lovely little bit of magic where he's making it appear and disappear so this film's got quite quite a good cast you've got jean reno as an IMF. so everyone in this film has been disavowed or is not in the imf's good books um and say because it is ethan trying to clear his name against the imf they break into langley which is the head of the imf to try and s- he decides the best way to free himself is to st- actually steal the knocklist so that he can sell it to max and find out who was originally meant to sell it to him um which is the iconic scene where he falls from the ceiling, stopping just before the floor, and then proceeds, because this room is like high-tech, that you can't touch the floor, you can't raise the temperature, you can't speak loudly, otherwise it's going to set off alarms. Um, Apparently, in rehearsals and making it, he kept smashing his head on the floor, and he had to put a load of coins in his feet, not in his feet, in his shoes, so that he counterbalanced himself to stop himself smacking his head on the floor. How about that? Yeah, lovely little bit of trivia for you. Um, so what do you, what do you think of Mission Impossible One or Mission Impossible as it's called? Um, I think it's wonderful. Um, I really, really do. I've the first word I've written. And also, another thing you should probably know, which you wouldn't ever get an idea of, is Terry and I make notes before. You probably wouldn't think it <laughs> listening to us, but we do make notes um, before uh, we record. And this is probably easily the most amount of notes I've ever made. Oh, I've, d- I've done a literal full page here. Yeah. Um, the first word I've used to describe Mission Impossible is iconic. I do think that this film, as as we will reveal later on when we talk about people's f- feedback, is when people think about the Mission Impossible films, I do think they think about this film yeah. first. I think this is one that pops into people's heads um, and as Terry says, you've got that very famous scene where he he drops down to the floor. So the, the suspension stunts, which um, disappeared in the first three films, and each of the first three films has got a suspension 
scene uh, with Ethan Hunt where he's sort of hovering just above the ground, um, which became a sort of like trademark. But also you've got the brilliant, brilliant uh, mask pull off. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is so Scooby-Doo, but so brilliant. Um, and that became a bit of a trademark for the series. Well, not a bit of a trademark. It became a trademark yeah. for the series of, of them wearing these masks and creating these masks to um, basically pose as other people. Um, yeah, because this one, you don't have so many masks because, as we said, he's he's not an IMF agent, essentially, <coughs> in this one. He's he's on the run. But it's it's that... It's the way that, the, that it's revealed. The way he pulls off the mask. Yeah. You know, it's just so... It's so Mission Impossible now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, the way they cut into it is yeah, they do it so well. Yeah, it's so well done. Um, and the thing with the Mission Impossible films is, um, although this, the first one, has a very different feel, like Terry says, it's like a, de- a detective film, Yeah. whereas the others are very much action films, they do still have these... They have these trademarks, and they with each one, they're trying to outdo the previous ones with... The stunts that do because as everyone will know Tom Cruise is a is a huge fan of doing his own stunts most films he'll do almost 100% of his own stunts yeah um and you have I think each film has very very famous uh stunt scenes and fight scenes and with this one you've got the scene in the channel tunnel which they refer to as the channel which I don't think anyone calls <laughs> it that anymore no. so along with the floppy disks they're going through the channel um, and you've got that scene with you know I don't know actors' names Leon flying yeah, Renault flying the helicopter into at or chasing yeah. the train going through the channel and Ethan Hunt obviously on top of the train yeah um, and he attaches the helicopters so it has to go into the channel with them um, I think that um, and there's lots of um, like double crossing and you're not really sure who's on whose side and you don't really know who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, which again is a very familiar theme going through the whole series. Um, I've I've watched Mission Impossible 1 quite a lot of times. It's probably in my top three of the most watched, probably top four most watched ones, probably top five most watched ones. Um, when we when we do our rundown of what order we put them, there's only really one that I haven't watched many times. But yeah. um, I've still watched that one a few times. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, so even when they're shit, they're great. Um, I, d- I do think it looks a d- it does look a bit dated. Oh now. God, I mean, I don't it... mean in the sense of like the floppy disks and stuff. No, the the effects haven't. Just... Yeah, the whole it does look a little because I feel like although obviously there is a better technology, but where we talked about Tom Cruise doing his own stunts in the later films, where he's hanging off rocks and he's climbing buildings, he's actually climbing rocks and hanging off buildings. Whereas in this, that that channel tunnel stuff is clearly CGI wind machines and stuff, and I feel like that mm. shows a little bit as well. But yeah, an an epic end of the film, and I also really like the bit, and I think it is quite iconic as well, where. He first realizes that he's the one that they suspect, and he uses the bubblegum bomb yeah. to explode all the fish tanks. And he's like jumping out because he was actually on, I think it was on the Jonathan Ross show, and they were talking about him doing his own stunts. And like that was one of the first big stunts he did by himself. And he said that they were just so sort of nonchalant. They were just like, yeah, yeah. So on three, we'll blow. And he's like, what? On three or one, two, three, blow. And they were just like, yeah, yeah, on three. And he essentially was just like shitting himself, waiting for the the water to attack him, essentially. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, a, a good watch. Yeah, yeah. Say, so, a little bit dated looking in places, but yeah, the, the storyline, the whodunit factor. So, I mean, one thing just to mention about this as well, this had like quite the backlash amongst Mission Impossible fans because, spoiler alert, the villain is John Voigt's character, who is Jim Phelps, who is the head, he is Ethan's mentor and the head of the mission. And in the Mission Impossible series, he was the main antagonist. He was essentially Ethan Hawke in the TV series. Okay. So they did it, obviously, as a big reveal, because who's going to suspect the, the hero from the TV series to be the villain? But a lot of people didn't like it. Sub subsequent films, a lot of the original cast were offered cameos, and they all refused based on like the reception that they felt for the first film, which a bit interesting. Mm. Um, um, right, can I do the second one? You can. Knock yourself out with Mission Impossible 2. Okay, so... Moving on to the second one, then. I don't know what year it came out. Have you got that written the down? The year 2000. Right, There's okay. quite the gap between some of these. Um, so, this, so this one was directed by uh, John Woo. Um, and storyline, you can, you can go through the storyline. I've just written a few key things uh, based on what I said about the first one. Um, the things that I take from the Mission Impossible films which are the like amazing stunts and really the insane positions that Tom Cruise puts himself into to really um, give us the viewers an experience because yeah. if you um, listen to interviews with him about the Mission Impossible series he really does want to give people this incredible experience and he's mm. like okay how can we better what we did last time or what he did last time effectively so the film opens with him on holiday air quotes of him climbing <laughs> yeah it's what um, i like to do in my spare time climbing this uh rock uh, which of course is the, again a very another famous um um scene with him climbing a rock apparently yeah just like a rock face um you know with no <clears throat> no harness he's on his own and then there's the scene where he ends up with his back to the rock and he's holding on by like a fingertip it's i mean it's just insane and he did he did do those stunts himself he did obviously have wires yeah. um but apparently it was very minimal wires um terry you just give us an idea about um well i have i have written the, um the uh the plot down for this but really briefly um Basically, there's a virus and an antidote which are on offer here, and that's that's the the, yeah, the so idea behind the story is yeah, that he's after these. The deadly virus. So, you've got a scientist trying to create the best antivirus he can, and to, and to do that, he has to create a virus called Chimera, and essentially, Dougary Scott, or Ambrose as he is in the film, acquires this and essentially trying to sell it off. And Tom Cruise's mission is to infiltrate find out where it is, steal it back, and, and save the world. Yeah, and you've got... Um, so, in the first one, you didn't... I've, I've classed them as... I've called them Bond girls. In the yeah. first one, it wasn't really a Bond girl because it was his boss's wife, but yeah. you did have a girl in it. But in this one, you do kind of have a, have a Bond girl. It's Tandy Newton, and she kind of... She's Dugray Scott's ex. Yeah. Um, Former she, flame. So she kind of tries to infiltrate... Um, or schmooze back in with him basically. Of, yeah. Does a bit of double agent work. Yeah. Um 
and it's her that ends up getting infected so Ethan Hunt has to try and get back the antidote to save her and blah 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 so that's kind of like yeah. the, the premise behind this one um, I I'm not a massive fan of number two I'm not going to lie um, although it is for me there are just elements it's still in my opinion it's the worst of the series but even though it, don't I ruin the top six at the end I can't help because I can't talk about it as enthusiastically about the others. Um, I still think it's so much better than a lot of other films we, oh, that yeah. we've seen. Do you, you know think what I mean? of a lot of action films at the similar time, like Broken Arrow, shit like that. It's it's a very good action film. It's just not a very. It's not a brilliant Mission Impossible film. Mm. Um, so this this film, some of the. So in the first one, you had the helicopter in the channel. This one, you've got some really good uh, bike fight scenes. Yeah. Um, where they're literally on motorbikes fighting. Um, it's Obviously, they're on uh, cliffside roads doing it um, because that's what you do. Um, and there's a really famous scene as well where he... Um, there's a knife that's plunged towards his yeah. eye and it literally stops like, like a, a quarter of an inch or something quarter isn't of it? an inch and a, again he tom cruise being tom cruise insisted that um that that be done and because they were like don't be ridiculous we're not just gonna let someone thrust a knife towards your eye so apparently it was on a wire yeah. just to make it stop but he still insisted that do grace stop scott actually try and stab like, him in the eye yeah used as much force as possible and i mean it's things like that that really it really shows in the film. It just yeah. looks so real because it is real. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm sorry. My notes here actually say that I think this storyline's a little bit naff. I think it's because <clears> of the love interest. Uh, the first thing I've written is shit love story. Yeah. I, I think that was my problem with this one was that I just found yeah if she'd just been if there'd been no romantic connection exactly. between Ethan and her it would have been fine it was yeah. that it felt forced it didn't feel yeah. natural and I found it just naff yeah um, it's the first time Metallica have ever written a song for a film oh is it so that was an, an interesting point for me it's a pity that it's for this one <laughs> <coughs> You've got to start somewhere. Um, but yeah, yeah. God bless Metallica. They've got to start somewhere. Um, nobody knew who they were before this film. No. No, nobody had ever heard of them. No, they were just some band. Yeah, and then they disappeared into obscurity. <laughs> Metallica who? What now? What song? Um, but yeah, I think it's... I think the fight scenes are great. I think the action scenes are great. I think the story is naff. That's yeah, I mean, why. it's... It's one of the ones where like the world is at stake... Yeah. Obviously, the first one, it's literally just Ethan trying to clear his name, whereas this is Chimera could wipe out like the entire planet. It's all about Dougree Scott, or sorry, Ambrose, just trying to make as much money as possible. What I quite liked in terms of that is Ambrose is very much labelled as the anti-Ethan. Mm. Ethan's all... And there's even a bit where Ambrose is trying to work out what, or is telling people what Ethan's going to do. Oh, he's going to take the least resistance, the place where he's not going to have to hurt people... And he just walks through the front door and fucking kills people because he doesn't give a fuck. He just wants to get to what he wants to get to. Um, so I completely agree that I feel like the love story is forced and it's just, just cut that out. It, it just really annoyed me. I love in this film how they really go for it with the face mask. We get a lot more. There's bits where, obviously, they're not actually, but 
You've got bits where Ambrose is being Ethan, bits where Ethan's being other people, and there's lots of face masks and lots of reveals. And my favourite bit in this film, again, spoiler alert, towards the end of the film, Ethan is like attacking them in their base. He has a fight with Ambrose's like number one guy. Right-hand man, yeah. Um, and then it cuts to the the right-hand guy bringing Ethan in, going, oh, we can't really talk because I've broken his jaw. And Ambrose does some lovely little speech and then pumps him full of bullets and then realises that actually Ethan has put his own face on this guy. He's basically just made him kill his best friend. And it, obviously it sets Ambrose off a little bit. We were talking about this at the cinema, weren't we? We, yeah. we both said that was one of our like favourite yeah. like mask reveals. Yeah, because it's just because it's like he had he cut his finger, didn't he? And it's like he's mm. just shot him and he's laying dead, and he sees his finger and he because he cuts his finger with a cigar, with a cigar Clip, cutter, yeah. And yeah. he's just like he realizes what he's done, and at that point we see his right hand man running off, and then the face comes off, and it's actually Ethan who's making off with the antivirus to make it back to Tandy Newton to save her just before the dial hits zero. Because yeah, obviously with Mission Impossible, it has to stop on one second or one millisecond. Um, yeah, completely agree that like the fight scenes are really cool. It's like where they're literally fighting on bikes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, and it's the first time we see Tom Cruise with floppy hair. He's yeah, got so that was another a very long floppy point. mop. That was another talking point um, when we went to the cinema last week. Um, was that we? <laughs> this was our least favorite Ethan Hunt haircut yeah. of the entire series. But I feel like they almost possibly wanted him to have it because there's a lot of motorbikes and stuff, so it it moves a lot. Whereas if he'd had short hair, maybe it wouldn't wouldn't look as good. Um, random fact for this film: Dougary Scott was originally cast as Wolverine and had to drop out because this film overran. So, if this film had finished on time, we might we might not not even know who Hugh Jackman is. Interesting. Yeah, he was literally cast. He was meant to sign off, and then yeah, they overran because John Woo just kept doing more and more ridiculous action. Mm. But yeah, so yeah. Mission Impossible 2, a very good action film, very entertaining, but not a brilliant Mission Impossible film. No. Moving on to number three. Shall I take three? Yeah, sure. Uh, So number three, we skipped to 2006, so there were six years between these ones. Uh, And this one is directed by J.J. Abraham. So this was J.J.'s first feature film. Up until this point, he'd just done TV series. Um, And this one is very much like a personal story with Ethan and I prefer it when it's a bit more contained than when like the second one where it is the world is going to end whereas this is just so it, it has one of the tropes of films that I really dislike but I like it in this film so it opens with essentially the ending of the film with Tom Cruise strapped to a chair beaten to fuck and you've got Philip Seymour Hoffman who's the villain in this film Owen Davian with I mean, we don't know who she is at this point. A woman, and he's pointing a gun to a turn. Where is the rabbit's foot? I want the rabbit's foot. And it's quite a long scene, and he's counting down from ten, and it ends with him getting to one and shooting, and Ethan is getting more and more agitated, going, I will get whatever you want, just let her go, don't hurt her, don't hurt her. And then we cut to, like, a few days later or a few weeks earlier, and essentially Ethan has retired from active service for the IMF after the events of the second film. Tandy Newton's nowhere to be seen. We never hear what happens to her. Um, Good bloody riddance. And he's now engaged to the woman who we know was in the chair, Julia, played by Michelle Monaghan. He still works for the IMF, but he's now a trainer. And it's like their engagement party. Everyone loves him because he's super fit, but he tells everyone that he works in like this traffic agency and everyone thinks he's a boring fuck, but he's handsome. I'd definitely marry him. 
he ends up being called into a mission because someone he trained has gone missing behind enemy lines and they ask him to put a team together to go and like rescue her. During the rescue, things go awry and essentially Ethan is called back into it to try and get this Owen Davian played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. There's this a literal MacGuffin in this one because it's just called The Rabbit's Foot. It's the chimera of this one, but we never find out what it is. We never find out what it does. It's just a thing that Ethan has to get in order to save to save his wife. So halfway through the film, she's abducted by Owen Davian and he says, you need to get the rabbit's foot or I'm going to kill her. We have an amazing mask set piece thing where Tom Cruise becomes Philip Seymour Hoffman and like abducts him from, from the Vatican of all places. Um, but yeah, this film is like the first proper mission film. He's The whole film is him on mission. He doesn't get disavowed. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get taken off. He's got a team that he actually works with or any other ones. It's, he's sort of on his own with a couple of people. Um, but yeah, so I just really liked how personal a story it was. It wasn't about saving the world. It was about saving his girl or his fiance. Oh no, wife. They get married in the film as well, don't they? Yes. And yeah, I just really, really liked it. What did you think, Sonia? Um, yeah, again, I really like this one. Um, this is the first time that we meet Benji. Yes. Um, this is something else that we had a discussion about. Um, what do you think of Benji? In this film, not so, it's a very weird cameo because it, Benji is played by Simon Pegg who obviously this was just off the back of like Shaun of the Dead, etc. Originally it was meant to be Ricky Gervais, but he couldn't take oh, the part. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I don't think he would have gone on to be in the franchise like Simon Pegg has. Christ. Um, but essentially he's just like a tech guy that Ethan asks a lot of questions of and like gets him to do things he probably shouldn't do. So I think he's okay in this film, but subsequently he becomes a bit more of an action star and I don't see Simon Pegg as an action star. But in this film, I think... Yeah. So it's a bit jarring that you've got a British guy in the middle of the IMF, but... I quite... Because he's... <clears throat> well, he's the tech guy, isn't he? Yeah. Um, And so I kind of feel like, actually, it, it kind of makes sense that they've got a British guy doing that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. In this one, I, I quite enjoy Benji. Mm, um, he's just like a nervous wreck in this, and he's just anxious about everything. And you say that the uh, the rabbit's foot never gets revealed what it is, but Benji's got a theory, hasn't he? And yeah. you can see them all looking at each other and thinking, fuck, what if Benji's right? Because yeah. Benji could be right as to what he thinks this uh, rabbit's foot is. Um, I, I agree. I like the story. I like the, the idea of him retiring and yeah. getting a wife. And she's quite a likeable character Yeah, she's as well. lovely. Um, you know, towards the end where they've both been captured and they've got to escape, but he's got to explain to her very quickly, <laughs> darling, this is what I do. Um, yeah. This is a gun. I'm going to load it for you. You need to point it at people. Yeah, and you and need to use that defibrillator on my head. Yeah. I need you to kill me <coughs> and then bring me back to life. Luckily, she works in a hospital, so yeah. she knows how to do all that stuff. If she'd been um, a dinner lady, it might have ended quite, quite badly. She would have just been bashing him over the head with a tray. <laughs> um, this one is wet. This one is wet. Um, <laughs> it's Yeah, I think it's it's a really solid film. Of course, it's got mm. Philip Seymour Hoffman in it yeah. as well. 
Um, I mean, that's one thing I think they do well in these. They get really good actors to play opposite Tom Cruise in the villain role. So Dougary Scott, because so, he's meant to be like the physical match in two. The first one, having John Voight is a very different one in this one. Because Owen Damien isn't about physicality. He's just, he's a ruthless fucker who'll do what, mm. he'll, he'll pay someone to beat you up. He's not going to beat you up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, decent. I like this one a lot. Now, I do like, they do have a bit of fisticuffs and they manage to even it out because Ethan's got, like, essentially a bomb in his head and uh, Davian, like, sets it off so it's got, like, a beep so he's, like, severely debilitated trying to fight him. But Davian does have quite the brutal end being mm. run over by us and you just see his shoe bouncing along the thing. I've yeah. literally just got it written, shoe. Um, but the one thing, just to end on this one, because obviously you said about, like, the love story being really shit in two this film has a love story in it but this is like a film about love whereas the first second one is a shit love story this is you completely get that he is in love with Julia and he loves her mm. with all his heart and he will do whatever he has to and likewise from her but it isn't sappy it isn't oh my god I love you it's just it's implied in their performances rather than shitty shitty dialogue yes um, and it's got the famous suspension scene where he goes over a wall yeah, and, you know, into the Vatican. Drop, drops down, drops down to the ground on the floor. Um, cool. We get on to number four. Um, it, this is the first film that's not numbered. It's got yeah. the title, so this is Ghost Protocol. Um, and this is directed by Brad Bird. Um, and this starts with Ethan Hunt in prison. I love the opening to this film. So yeah, so do I. So you start, you know, for me, the film started off and. I remember the first time I saw it and I was thinking, we've got another fucking film. Well, we've just seen a film. Well, I say we've just seen a film. So a few years before, we've just seen a film. He's got married and now we're starting this film and she's nowhere to be seen. But of course, I'm just jumping. Yeah, jumping to conclusions. Yeah, Um, jumping to conclusions. So the film starts with him in a prison, uh, which he very quickly breaks out of. Um... I feel like you've undersold that scene. He breaks out of the prison. So there's a whole mission. So Benji is now an agent. Yeah. And he's like broken into the security of this Russian prison. And he like starts letting out the inmates to distract the guards and then lets Ethan out. And Ethan's meant to go one way straight out. And Ethan just stands there and tries to make him open a door because he's going back in to get... No, he's Dimitri, isn't he? His Basically, one of his Russian informants, he wants to get him out of the prison as well. Mm. And it's... It's got a bit Raid-esque, really, isn't it? It's just mm. constant fighting and he's just diving in, punching people. He's back to long, floppy hair. Yeah. Um, and there's an awesome scene as well right at the start because they play music so that Ethan knows they're coming. And he's like, you think he's playing with a bounty ball. He's playing with a lump of rock, but he's throwing it like a bounty ball and it's bouncing back to him. But yeah, I just think that scene is just so well done and it's it's done to um, Dean Martin... Um, oh, what's the name of the song? Don't know. Uh, but like basically, he's got to be in a certain place by the end of the song so that he can escape, and he's not playing ball because he wants to save his friend. And I just think it's a great opening scene, compared as well to the third one where you've got this horrible, intense, dreadful scene, and this is almost like a, a comedy caper opening. Hmm. Um. So I was slightly. So what's the um. What's the what's the premise behind uh, behind Ghost Protocol? So Ghost Protocol. So. I think it might have been before that opening or shortly after. So we have quite a cool fake out on this. So he was quite famous at the time, but 
Sawyer from Lost, or I forget his name is Josh something. It, we see him on a mission, and he's very quickly killed. But I think the premise was meant to be that, like, oh, he's the new agent in town kind of thing. But essentially, you've got Michael Enquist, who's playing Hendrix. He's a crazed evangelist who thinks that half the world needs to be wasteland for everyone to be equal. Everyone needs to feel the heartache of loss. And he's trying to steal missiles and launch codes and they break Ethan out. There's all these rumours as to why he's in this prison, that he's killed lots of people, something horrible happened and he had to fix it. Um, and yeah, they break him out to basically try and beat him to the codes, find out what's happening and, and save the world. In Isn't this Ethan one. undercover in the prison? Isn't so he, that might... one story is that he's undercover. Another story is that he's legitimately there because he killed someone. There's talk that his wife was murdered and he went on a revenge mission killing everyone. There's... We hear three or four different stories as okay, to why he's in I the prison. I thought he was undercover because I thought he was annoyed he was broken out. Because he's like, I wasn't finished what I was doing. But anyway, yeah, carry on. That's potentially one of them. But yeah. Um, so yeah, so he, they break him out. They go to the Kremlin, <clears throat> as Sonia mentioned. <coughs> in a, I love this scene. So he, Tom Cruise, he's not necessarily got a face mask on, has he? He's got prosthetics on because he yeah. looks like Tom Cruise with prosthetics as opposed to someone completely different. And they use this really awesome like projector screen to to essentially break into this room in front of everyone, but they can't see them because they can just see a projection of the wall behind. Just as they're about to get what they want, they realise it's all gone and someone else starts talking on their radio frequency saying, it's okay, I've got everything, let's go. And then, shock horror, the Kremlin explodes. Um, <clears throat> uh, Ethan just about gets out, but he's thrown from the debris and he wakes up in hospital and a really what I thought was really clever when he first wakes up because obviously he's an IMF agent he's really clever so he he understands Russian when he first wakes up and he's really disorientated the subtitles are in Russian so we don't know what's being said and as he comes to the the subtitles turn into English and I just thought that was so clever really gradually don't they it's like a few letters at a time odd words it's such a good touch yeah I just thought that was so clever just to show how disorientated he is and because of the outfit he was wearing, he's quickly established to probably be the person responsible for blowing up the Kremlin. And this police officer tries to get him. And I just love this whole scene because there's a bit where <clears throat> they get distracted and then Ethan's disappeared from his bed and they look for him and he's literally just stood on the window ledge. And the guy's looking at him just like, you ain't going to jump, we're three stories up. And obviously Ethan, who hasn't just been involved in a major explosion, would probably sort of just climb down the bricks, sticking his fingers into the wall. But he stood there like topless, just looking around like, I don't know what to do. Like, I know I can't get caught, but I don't know what to do. And a car ends up driving past and he whips off his belt and slides down. Still ends up falling arse over tit. And again, it just shows the attention to the that he's still like a bit traumatised, probably concussed. Because doesn't he over, he lip reads someone saying, oh no, he's fine. He's just concussed. Yeah. So he knows he can break out. But then essentially he's now disavowed again because the IMF had, taking no acknowledgement of him because, essentially, to the world, he's just blown up the Kremlin, which Tom Wilkinson's character says, you've set US-Russian relations back a little bit. Um, There's a great scene. Tom Wilkinson, obviously, very big actor. He only has a small part in this film, and I'm going to be a spoiler again. It's quite an intense scene where he says to Ethan, you need to come back. But, of course, if you were to, like 
overthrow me, run off and do this. Instead. And basically it tells Ethan, you need to go and find out what's going on. And while this happens, out of nowhere, a bullet just comes through the car, through Tom Wilkinson's head. And all of a sudden it's like, oh God, what's going on? We've now got, um, what's his name? Jeremy Renner, who is like the right-hand man. And then there's a cool scene where they're, the car ends up in the canal and they're like waiting and Ethan puts a flare in one of the bodies and pushes it away to make people fire in the opposite direction as they swim off. Jeremy Renner plays Brant, who's shown as some sort of like information junkie and he's just like, he's just someone who can like hack into stuff, who knows who people are, surveillance. He doesn't seem to be like a, a field agent. They end up back with Benji and I forget her name the woman who's on the team and again it's then back on to right <clears throat> we, we always forget the, yeah, who the woman is we know we? who this guy is i mean to be fair up to up until a certain film the women in these films are pretty throwaway they are just generic women i mean in one two and three they are the damsel in distress for mm. the most part in this one she doesn't quite end up in that state but she is just the scorned lover essentially isn't mm. she uh, so then they begin this mission to try and find out these codes. They end up in Dubai, and this is where the big set piece comes in from Tom Cruise, where he scales the tallest building in Abu Dhabi, and he literally scaled the biggest building in Abu Dhabi. In the film, he's using these fancy IMF gloves that have sticky, but obviously in real life, he was harnessed. But he literally just climbs up this building. But he's still on the tallest building Yeah, in he's Abu still Dhabi. on the tallest building, just in a pair of like goggles and some swim shorts. Um <coughs> Do you want to take over at this point? I feel like I've been talking a long time. Okay. Um, yeah, so the reason I glossed over the uh, prison breakout at the start was because, for me, the highlight of this film is Tom Cruise stuck to the outside yeah. of one of the tallest buildings in the world. Um, and again, this is another um, example of Tom Cruise kind of thinking, hmm, what can we do now to really give the viewers something different? And this this film, for me... It was the first Mission Impossible film. I thought this is fucking brilliant. I thought yeah. when num when Ghost Protocol came out, they went from being really good to being fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, it was like next level with the stunts and it's not even special effects because he's actually doing this sh this shit. Um, you know, and watching um, watching the special features and stuff on these films and looking at the work that goes into getting these stunts ready and him doing the work and the amount of hours that they spend filming for, you know, maybe 10 minutes of footage. Yeah. And they were using this particular film that is only processed in one lab in the world, which is like in California, I think. So obviously they were filming in um, Dubai and they were having to film, get the film flown to California to get it like processed and then get it flown back so they would have like 48 hours between filming something and then actually being able to view it um you know and it's sort of the dedication that goes into to stuff like you know the actual the setting up of the whole piece and then but wanting to do it in such a way that looks like the most authentic do you know yeah. what I mean um <clears throat> it was just so so well done and it was so I don't know just the whole thing was just so gripping yeah and absolutely terrifying because it's it's so high I mean it really does give you the, the heebs as well yeah um like you say it's got Jeremy Renner in it and he takes over the uh suspension scene in this one yeah but he's not actually suspended no, it's, it's more like 
he's he's actually hovering above the ground because Benji's created some kind of magnetic suit. Yeah. And he's being sort of like repelled off the ground, isn't he? By a little remote control car. Yeah. Um, but one of my other favourite parts of this film is the fight scene in the car park. Oh, it's brilliant. What the hell is that car park about? It's a factory, isn't it? It's not a car park. <coughs> oh, okay, I thought it was a car park because it seems so elaborate with all the, like, the, the circular yeah. floors or whatever. Yeah, but... and all the little... They're just going up and down. Um, but again, there's another scene where, you know, Ethan Hunt drives drives a car off, off the edge... So it yeah. lands like face down. Yeah, it's a, he's at the top, isn't he? He has to get to the bottom to get to a briefcase. And he just jumps in the car and drives it off. Drives it off the edge, thinking, "Well, I know I'm going to land on the front of the car, and the airbag's going to go off." Yeah. But again, that's another thing where they're just like Tom Cruise is kind of going, "Hey, why don't I do this?" And they're like, "Oh, say." The insurance guys and like the lawyers must be. We're going to fucking kill Tom Cruise. Apparently, with each film that they do, and with all these ideas that they come up with, the directors and everyone involved in the film are like, we don't know how he does it, but every time he manages to get insured. Mm. So, God only knows how much that costs to insure Tom probably, Cruise. It's probably half the budget. Um, or he just signs away with said, if I die, it's okay. But people are, people are obviously... Um, insuring him and he's doing these stunts i mean even with the the building stunt he's definitely up there he's definitely yeah. up that high and yeah he's harnessed but he's, the gust of wind or something still smack him about a place. he's he's being held up on a bit of rope it's, mm. you know it's it's insane what what he does for his art yeah um are we allowed to talk about his wife yeah um, so as I said right at the very start, when this film started and Ethan Hunt is in the prison, um, the very first time I saw this film, I was just like, oh, brilliant, they've, they've set up a love interest. And then, like most films of this ilk, they're immediately forgotten in the next film. And I thought it was going to be like each film, he was going to yeah. have a new love interest. But the point was, in the last one, he actually got married. What's actually happened in this one is to sort of protect his wife, he's actually, they've, they've faked her death. Yeah. Um, which we find out was actually Brandt was a field agent and he was on protective detail for Tom Cruise and his wife and to make it authentic only like Tom Cruise and the head of the IMF knew what they were doing and yeah they faked his wife's death um, and that's why he then ended up in prison and Tom Cruise kind of like and we see right at the end of the film we see her she's like on the way to the theatre with a friend or a colleague and and Ethan's just watching from afar. Yeah. Um, and their eyes meet sort of like right at the end of the film. Um, and it's it's kind of like a nice scene, but like a, a sad scene as well, yeah. because they kind of know that they can't be together. Um, but for me, it was a nice, t- without being like overly schmaltzy, it was a nice touch to still yeah. have her in it. Yeah, no, definitely. Because the last thing you want, and it's because you don't go into a Mission Impossible film thinking, oh, I hope you meet someone nice and settles down. Mm. But at least with this, they showed that potentially he still has thoughts of that, but he knows that that's just not possible with what he does. Uh, I just want to go back a bit to the fight that you were talking about in the BMW factory, because what I really liked about that fight is they're hitting each other, but they're actually hurting each other. There's so many films where you see people punching the shit out of each other, and they just keep going, whereas in this, like, there's a bit where... The bad guy stamps sideways on Tom Cruise's knee and for the rest of the scene and most of the film, he's limping 
mm. and like the injuries actually stick. And when he like he he drives that car into the floor, essentially, he doesn't just jump out and run off. He there's a, like a thirty second scene of him crawling towards the briefcase to try and get what he needs to get because he's severely injured because he's just driven into a floor at like sixty miles an hour. But no, I just like you say, I think this is the first film where they properly sort of realise that we can be a bit more outlandish. The first three, maybe not two, were almost a bit realistic and mm. like the stunts were realistic, whereas this is obviously it's a real stunt, but yeah, we're just gonna climb a building. The mask worked really cool in this one. You get to see like a mask actually being made, I think, which I think is quite cool. But yeah, they just think, fuck it, we're just gonna blow shit up, we're gonna have him climbing this, we're gonna have him doing that. Again, this film does go into the territory of we're saving the world because th- at the end they literally stop a miss again on one second they stop a missile from crashing into I think New York, which obviously would have started a nuclear war against everyone. But they they keep it small because it's just his team. It does it's not like hundreds of people all over the world gathering around stuff. It's just mm. this little IMF team soldiering on through yeah and they even have that don't they because they're all sat around the table just before we see his wife and they're just sort of saying like is it like that all the time and that's when he sort of basically makes them his team to like go forth mm. but i yeah i absolutely love ghost protocol cool moving on to number five rogue nation yes who's gonna go for this you oh, go for it i okay. talked a lot in the last one um so Christopher McQuarrie um, directed this one. This one's possibly got my favourite baddie in it because yeah. he's a creepy fucker. Yeah. Um, so this one starts... This is such a fucking brilliant start. You've got Jeremy Renner sort of um, bossing Benji. Benji's out yeah. in the field again. Um, sigh. Um as Ethan Hunt is jumping onto a moving... Well, it takes a while, doesn't it? Because yeah. he's telling Benji, are you going to stop the plane? You need to yeah, stop yeah, the plane. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. And then you just hear... You see Ethan coming over a hill or something, just like, don't worry, I've got a plan. Yeah. Um, and as the plane is making its way down the runway, Tom Cruise runs after it and jumps on the side of it as it, as it takes off. Um... And this is our big sort of like opening stunt scene for this one. Again, it's just like, how on earth does he mm. get insured for these things? Because what Benji's... I loved about this one, obviously it was in the papers because they were filming it on an airfield. So there's <coughs> lots of paparazzi, lots of Tom Cruise hanging on to. And I just love the fact that they made this massive stunt, but it's it's the opening scene. It's not like the big mm. set piece. It's just, yeah, we'll just throw this in at the beginning. And it's yeah. just fucking ridiculous. Um. Because, I mean, frankly, some of the other stunts in this are ridiculous as well. Um, yeah, so it begins, it begins with that. You've got Benji trying to um, open a door for him to go yeah. in. He's opening the wrong door. Yeah, he opens the massive door. Um, and then, you know, Ethan's in the plane and he does what he needs to do. And it, it's just like a little opening for the film. Yeah. And then you get the credit, ding, 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 yeah. ding. And then, and then the film starts proper. Um, and again, it like each something that we haven't really talked about um, is how Ethan gets, gets his, his missions, missions yeah. on, however, like a phone box or a sunglasses, the disposable camera, which that was, was a, a nice one. one. Um, this message will self destruct in five seconds. But this one again was my favorite. So as well as having my favorite bad guy, it's got my favorite. Um, your missions, should you choose to accept it. 
Um, because he goes to a record shop to look for an obscure jazz record yeah. and he gets his mission by playing a record. Um, and it's just really, really well done. Um, and he gets his mission, should he choose to accept it, from the enemy. Yeah. Um, which is which is a nice twist right yeah. at the very start. Um, he's locked in a room, he gets gassed and... Well, he what? just as he's getting gassed, the young girl working in the shop... So the the villain in this one is Solomon Lane, played by yeah. Sean Harris, who... What I love about this villain, he's so understated because he just yeah. talks very quietly. It's fair, fairly fair, over a whisper. Yeah, just like this. But everyone is fucking scared of him. Mm. So just as Ethan realises it's not his mission and he looks round, Solomon Lane stood there with a gun to this young girl's head and just shoots her in front of him mm. for no reason other than, I'm going to fucking shoot her. And then, yeah, then it cuts to... Ethan tied up or chained to a post and then we meet the first proper female character in the Mission Impossible franchise we meet Ilsa Faust played by Rebecca Ferguson Um, and I think she's an amazing character I think she has an amazing entrance into this film so Mm. at first it appears that she is going to be the interrogator because he's literally topless with his hands tied behind his back on a post I mean that man's in his 50s Mm-hmm. What a body that man's got! I would be interested to know. I I haven't watched any special features this one. Did you watch any special features for this one? Maybe. Because he gets himself off that post by flicking his body up. I'd be interested to know if he <clears throat> actually did that. He, of course, he would have done. Because he literally just flips his body up and like body pops off this six foot post. He totally would have done that. But just remarkable. He was feet. hanging on to a plane. Yeah, but hanging on to I something. I think he can body pop. <laughs> Imagine if he didn't, that's a body double. <laughs> All CG. <Yeah>. All CG. <laughs> Down on a green screen. Um, but essentially, then Ilsa like, hands him the keys and makes it evident that like, she's going to help him escape. But she doesn't escape with him because she needs to hang back. And it, she's a very like unknown quantity in this film. There's lots of, is she on his side? Yeah. Is she on the other that's side? That's exactly what I've got Yeah, there's down. lots of... I've written down, can they? Can we trust yeah, her? Can, there appears to be times where she's double-crossing them, then she mm-hmm. comes back. But at the same time, Solomon is also aware that he's like she's double-crossing him. And there's she's a very shady character, and you don't know what she's up to. Um, but yeah, it, there's an amazing scene set at the opera. So we see everyone that... So Hunt has essentially been disavowed again, um, and everyone else associated with him... Like Benji is now office bound and gets a weekly interrogation on a lie detector to find out if he has heard anything from Ethan. Brandt is essentially the head of the IMF. Alec Baldwin is the head of the CIA, I think, and he wants the IMF shut down. And Brandt is in court and he's just going, I can't tell you without the secretary. You don't have a secretary. That's why I can't tell you because I don't have permission to tell you because there's no secretary to give me permission to tell you. Um... I've forgotten where I was talking about now. Yeah, so then Benji wins tickets to an opera in Austria and goes along and it quickly becomes apparent that Ethan has arranged this and he's brought Benji in to do a job for him. And this is where Ilsa turns up again in a fabulous gown. And again, we're not sure what she's there for. Is she there for her own needs? Is she there as part of Solomon Lane? Is she there... To watch the opera. To watch the opera. Is she there in a similar guise to Ethan? Because essentially Ethan is trying to prove that this 
Rogue. So this film is called Rogue Nation. Sorry, we haven't mentioned that. So this is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Oh, did you? I wasn't listening. Um, So the Rogue Nation is the syndicate, which is the anti-IMF, and he's trying to prove it, whereas Alec Baldwin and the others think that Tom Cruise has invented the syndicate to keep himself going within the IMF, and he's actually the the villain of the piece. A a recurring theme for poor Ethan. Everyone seems to think he's the bad guy. Mm. Um... So he's trying to find out who the syndicate is and work out what's going on. And yeah, this three-way shootout almost during an opera whilst the opera is happening with no one seeming to notice what's going on. Um, Lots of guns being made out of instruments. And then that's when Ilsa and Ethan sort of not get together, but team up for the next leg of the journey. Uh, If you want to take over for a bit there, Son. Yeah, I wasn't fully listening to what you were saying there. I just finished Um, about the opera. Okay, so um, I'm just going to talk about some of the, the stunts and stuff because obviously that's clearly my favourite yeah. um, thing about these films. There's So you've got Rebecca Ferguson appears to be working with Solomon Lane and then she appears to be working with Ethan Hunt. Um, so we don't really know who she's working for. No. We kind of are led to believe that she's on Ethan Hunt's side. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a scene where they've got to switch some files, but of course the file that they need to switch is kept underwater. Yeah. Um, in quite an elaborate maze underwater. Um, and Ethan has to hold his breath for about three minutes, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so Benji's trying to do various bits so, and pieces. His so end. this is the one where it's actually... Ethan has got to do the fiddly bits for Benji because because everyone knows what Ethan looks like. He can't walk in, so yeah. Benji's just got to go and get this information, but he has to walk through this scanner. But the scanner doesn't just do facial recognition; it does gait and steps. So Ethan has to go into this underground water bunker to put in Benji's information so that the security system will register him as a legitimate yeah. person. So that's why he's on the clock. Um. But of course, well, he, he passes out underwater, doesn't he? I mean, it's, it's so, it's one of those, I mean, it's so edge of your seat stuff. So he's underwater, but they're spinning as well. Yeah, there's a thing spinning to keep it cool. Yeah, and then he's, and then he drops the file. So there's two files floating around in the water. Yeah, so the real picks, one and the duplicate. So he picks one up and it's getting to the, like, you know, his time's running out. He's got a timer on him and... It gets to the point where at the last minute he's got to stick a file in the slot, so he just he drops one, so he thinks, well, I'll just stick the one in that I've got in my hand. Lo and behold, it's the right one, just as he passes out. Um, he gets smacked by the spinny thing as well, I yeah. think, doesn't he? So then Rebecca Ferguson appears, because we, one of the scenes we see her practising holding Yeah, because originally she's going to do it, isn't she? And Ethan's yeah. like, of course you can't do it, you're a woman, I shall do it. Well, actually, it's more Benji saying that. Yeah. Benji's just like, pfft. He can hold his breath for three minutes. That's no issue. And they're saying, no, Benji, I don't think you realise you have to exert yourself as well. But Benji's just like, no, no, it's no issue. Yeah, Ethan can do it. Uh, So Rebecca Ferguson has to go and um, rescue Ethan, which she does. Benji reappears. He's like, woo, that was tough, wasn't it? Realises that Ethan's in quite a bad way because he's been... Yeah, she has to defib him, I think, doesn't she? He hasn't had any air for quite a while. So, yeah, she defibs him. But then it appears that she double-crosses Yeah, them. she She's, makes off with the information they've she just She then stolen. defibs 
a very much awake Benji, <laughs> um, steals the file off him and legs it. Now, this is where we got quite a funny scene, and this is this I've got this is my Leonardo DiCaprio Wolf of Wall Street scene, where Ethan Hunt wakes up from being deprived of air for quite a while, and he's not quite with it. No. Um, so he tries to jump over the bonnet of his car and makes just a mess of it. He yeah. gets in the car and tries to drive, and poor Benji is just like, oh my God, you know, you were dead a minute ago. Should you be driving? You've got these brilliant scenes where they're driving through the streets. Where are they? I think it's one? like Morocco or something like that. That's it. Um, and they're driving down all these steps, Tiny little streets, tiny over little steps. Streets, all these steps. And apparently, again, they were really driving down yeah. these seats. So it's quite... I think it was some of the first like really funny scenes that they put in these films yeah. as well, where it's genuinely funny because apparently when they were filming that and they were driving down because because Tom Cruise is so multi talented, does he all is, his own driving. He is a very talented driver as well, so he can do all that kind of like stunt driving. But apparently, him and Simon Pegg were properly being thrown all over the place yeah. in these cars, so their reactions to driving down these stairs are very real. Um, there's a great bit, I can't remember how, but they end up like flipping, don't they, about a hundred times. And just before he's about to do the thing, knowing he's going to flip, he goes, Benji, put on your seatbelt. You go, put it on now! <laughs> like, not up to this point, it's been fine. Because um, it's such a great car chase, because it's properly like, like you say, they're being cut, but you feel it. It's very tight and you feel all those bangs and crashes. Well, you, say, you say it's a car chase, they're chasing Rebecca Ferguson and her... Co- are they cohorts are they her and you know you don't know yeah. if she's working for or against these people but they're on bikes yeah so you've got her on a bike them in a car you've got jeremy renner and ving rames appear they pass each other on the street because oh, yeah, they, they have a lovely bit of banter because they've got this big jeep and then they have to do a three-point turn to chase it and i think ving rhymes is driving and he's just going couldn't get the fucking Mercedes. You had to get the four by four, and he takes about fifty attempts to turn it in the road. Um, so yeah, this this is the first one I think that had like genuinely like a few light-hearted yeah. bits in it, um, but just it's more like really, really amazing scenes. And then um, towards the end, because you know this, you know. Solomon Lane and Ethan Hunt are really like butting heads in this mm. one and eventually Solomon Lane kidnaps Benji. Yeah. And straps a bomb to his chest. And um And talks is, through him. This is actually the uh I think the first time in the films that I didn't find Benji annoying. <laughs> and I was just thinking, Oh hang on, he could die here. <laughs> um we might be onto a winner here. Um But I thought I thought that was a really good way to try and get Ethan... Because, you know, you're thinking... Got his attention. Yeah, got his attention, but also Without potentially him. the baddie might actually get Ethan Hunt to do yeah. to do what he wants. But, of course, Ethan, along with Rebecca Ferguson's character... Has other plans. Have other plans. Um, and they thwart it. I, I imagine it's quite likely that Benji did a Oh, he blatantly pissed himself. Yeah. Because, again, we get down to, like, two seconds or something on this bomb that's going to wipe him and everyone around him out. Mm. Um, yeah, because the whole MacGuffin of this one, the information they're trying to steal is, like, bank accounts and amounts of money that Solomon Lane wants. And instead of handing him the disc, 
to save himself, Ethan memorises about 500 sets of bank details. Or does he? Well, yeah. He definitely memorises one because he gives it to... It says, I'll give you $50 million to prove that I'm right. And it, it's at that point that Ilsa then starts using him as a human shield because Solomon knows that they can't kill him because he won't get his money without it. And again, I just like how it, it just came down to almost like a battle of wits rather than like a battle of power and a battle of physique. Mm. Um, I mean, I won't go too much more into the ending because obviously that one is that one's from 2015, so that one's not actually that old. And we don't mm. want to spoil it for people who might go away and watch it, but there, there's some lovely mask work in this one again. One of my absolute favourite bits from the special features watching this, now as we said, the film starts with Tom Cruise jumping on the side of a plane as it's taking off and hanging on to the plane as it's taking off and in the air. He's hanging on by his fingertips. Um, And I would say that Tom Cruise is quite a talented man. He's got quite a lot of strings to his bow, doesn't he? He likes to do quite a lot of stuff. When I was watching the special features, he turns around and goes... Of course, I don't tell anyone that I'm a pilot. And I thought, of course he's a fucking pilot. He can do all these things and he can fly a fucking aeroplane as well. So his point was, when they were planning this stunt and they were working, because they were working with engineers for the people that made those planes to see if it was feasible to stick him on the side of it and do all the bits and pieces that they wanted, he was working so closely with like the stunt coordinators and the people making the planes because he understood how it works. Because he's a pilot as well. Of course he fucking is. Um, yeah. I don't think there's any end to the man's talents. Well, another thing, so obviously we talk about how he needs to hold his breath. Apparently... Oh, and he can do that as well. Yeah. Obviously, the whole scene wasn't done underwater. Apparently, Tom Cruise wanted to film that scene yeah. underwater in real time. He got to the point where he could hold his breath for six minutes. Yeah, that's another special feature where you can see him being timed, holding his breath. Fucking mental. He actually is. Six I don't think minutes. He, I don't think he's human. Well, the wow. Scientologist in him. He's a lizard, isn't he? Um. So that's Rogue Nation, which brings us right up to date. This is the only film I don't have any notes on because I didn't get, I didn't rewatch it. I don't own it. It only came out last year at the cinema. It is available to buy. Um, and it is going back as part of the IMAX Fest at the Cineworld as well. Yeah. Um, you can go and watch it for three pounds on IMAX, um, and that's Fallout, which came out last year. Who directed this? So this is the first time that a director has returned back. So this that. is Christopher McQuarrie. So apparently, reading up, pretty much every time they offered it again, and no one took it. And okay. in this case, so Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise have quite a good working relationship. So there's a lot of films that Tom Cruise has worked on. That so McQuarrie directed the first Jack Reacher film, and he's written. He's a He's an Oscar-winning writer, Christopher McQuarrie. He wrote The Usual Suspects, and he's written a lot of films for Tom Cruise or tweet scripts. So they have like a special relationship. And I don't know if you know, Sonia, but they've just announced seven and eight Mission Impossible. And I they like are... the way you said my name then, because I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> um, okay, and sure. they're both going to be directed by Christopher McQuarrie as well. Um, so, yeah, so this was the first time that someone actually came back. But in interviews, he said, like, because he wrote the film as well, he wrote it not for himself, he wrote it because he didn't want it to just be like the same film. He wanted to change it up a bit. But I think with this film, where it is the same director, this is the first film where it properly pulls plot points from other films into it. Mm-hmm. So there are direct sequel points from the other one. There are points from like three that come back into this one because the whole point of this film is that it is the, the fallout is there is a nuclear bomb involved, but it's also the fallout of 
of Ethan's choices throughout his life that have led him to this point. So Solomon Lane returns as the villain, although we've also got Henry Cavill's August Walker, who is quite the specimen with or without moustache when he looks like Jamie Dornan. Yeah, I thought I was watching Jamie <coughs> Dornan for the whole film. We've talked about this before. We don't yep. need to go over We have it. indeed. Um, but yeah, so this film just ups the ante in every single way. So he clung onto a plane in the last one. In this one, he pilots a helicopter <laughs> because you can. He does a halo jump because you can. And not only does he do a halo jump, he does a halo jump with a mask on that lights his face so you can show that it's Tom Cruise. Because of that light, he couldn't see while he was doing a halo jump because he just had lights in his eyes. Of course he was doing it. <laughs> it's just like... But the thing with Henry Cavill, his character also makes the halo jump, but he didn't do the halo jump. And Henry Cavill said he wanted to and they could insure him, but they wouldn't let him because because he was such a lump. They wanted a professional stunt double in case he killed Tom Cruise because there's a bit where Tom Cruise basically has to like hold on to him and pin him down. And they didn't want Henry Cavill to do that in case they killed Tom Cruise. <laughs> Can you imagine that point? Yeah, we'd love you to do that, but you might kill him. So we'll... You're a bit of a lump. Yeah. You're just a massive lump of muscle, aren't you there? Um, so, I mean, we've talked about this film a lot more in previous pods, but it is just... I mean, I think this is nearly two and a half hours long, but it whips along like a 90-minute action film. It is just utterly, utterly relentless. The fight scene, like the bathroom fight scene, is amazing. Oh, so good. So the helicopter stuff, the... I mean, the fact that Tom Cruise actually broke his ankle making this film... Yep. ...in a really nonchalant stunt... Yeah. It's just him jumping from one building to another. And that scene is in the film. Mm-hmm. If you slow it down, you can watch his ankle twist in completely the wrong direction. But being Tom Cruise, he doesn't go, fuck, fuck, I've broken my ankle. He completes the scene. Mm-hmm. He cli- he pulls himself up off a ledge and runs on a broken ankle. Yeah. Um, and something which I noticed re-watching these films, and I've noticed it before with Tom Cruise films as well, he runs really quickly, and I think it's really highlighted in Fallout as oh, well. Oh, yeah, in this he one. He runs a lot, and, and the he scenes, runs quick. So th- towards the end, the scene where he's like doing that massive running, that was post-ankle break. Mm. That was like three months after he broke his ankle. When I was talking to my, my mum about putting the uh, Mission Impossible films in order, she, she just said, oh, I couldn't put number six at the top because he's got the ankle break in it. She said it made her feel sick watching it because she knew that he actually yeah. broke his ankle and then was running on it. Um, and I just love the fact she couldn't put that as number one because it made her feel sick. There was um, because obviously this had a slightly longer production because they basically had to shut down for three months because he broke his ankle, which Christopher McQuarrie said helped make it a good film because everything he'd shot he could edit, see what worked, and he changed plot lines based on what he'd already filmed. They went on Graham Norton, <laughs> yeah, and they showed the footage. And Simon Pegg was like, I've not seen this. And he turned around and didn't, he's like, I never want to see it. And everyone else was watching it going, oh my God, look at his ankle. And Simon Pegg was just like, (laughs) just sat there being sick. But it's just, there's just nothing more to say about it other than it is just fucking ridiculous. We, um, like Terry said, we've spoken about Fallout before. It did only come out last year, so we're not going to blather on about it too much. Um, When it came out last year, I did go and watch it two nights running. Um, because I loved it so much. And I think we did say on our end of year pod it was our favourite action film of last yeah. year. Um, it's just it's just such a great Cause film. Because it's got, it's got all this ridiculous action, but it's got such a great storyline because it, yeah. it really is about Ethan and what he's done. It's a very personal story again. It's, although the end goal is to blow shit up, 
It's not to blow shit up to take over the world. It's to fuck with Ethan. That is the yeah. whole reason why Solomon Lane is doing everything in this film. It is just about fucking with Ethan and making his life a misery because he thwarted him previously. Um, and obviously you've got the iconic scene as well. We haven't mentioned it this time. Henry Cavill reloading his arms in mm. the bathroom fight. Just mm. a beautiful gif. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we really, really love Fallout. We do indeed. It's so amazing. Are we moving on to the impossible task now? Let's talk about what the, uh, what the listeners liked. Because there were three films that stood out from the six that the listeners really really like terry got an overwhelming response for one film and i got yeah. an overwhelming response for another film so what film did the listeners like so i did like a little poll and mission impossible one was the one that came out almost got as many votes as the rest of them combined it was very much the favorite and as i said earlier someone said people just enjoyed the fact that it was some people don't like the later ones because they just become overblown action scenes and it's just about what can we blow up what can we do whereas that was more of a a tighter story um and then rogue nation was popular and surprisingly mission impossible 2 um that surprises me um i i did my own um poll and with the exception i think of a couple of people who mentioned number four everyone said fallout it's yeah. i mean you got a, an outstanding response for number one and my response was all for number six um, and then we say a handful of people like number four. Well, not more than a handful of people, yeah. but I think that listener uh, Mission Impossible, I would say it was probably joint favourite of one and six, yeah. and then number four coming in a very close second, and then the other three just underneath. Yeah. Um, but what you know, what's taken Terry and I three weeks is for us to put the Mission Impossible films in order. Yeah. And we agree on position six five four and three <laughs> but our top two differ so this was quite interesting i mean number six was definitely the easiest position to fill yeah so the the film from the franchise of the six films that we like the least but we still think it's a decent film is number two yeah as we said a brilliant action film but not a brilliant mission impossible film yeah and then in number five We've got number three, <laughs> Mission yep. Impossible 3. Um, in fourth place, we've got Mission Impossible. Yeah. First one. In third place, we've got Ghost Protocol. Or number four. Or number four. And then this is where we differ. So I think my second place is Fallout. And my first place is Rogue Nation. It's, I, I, I find it tough for me it's probably five then six with Fallout being the top possibly that's just because it's the newest one and it's the one that still like exhilarates me the most but in a way I, you can almost say that they're one film because yeah. you've got the Solomon Lane mm. like th through thread and Macquarie directing it's just yeah I just I, I find it hard to separate them but I would gun to my head I would say six um, so we spoke about this last week when we were at the cinema and we were both saying how we'd got our position three, four, five and six and we were both really struggling to sort of pick a favourite out of um, Ghost Protocol, sorry not Ghost Protocol, uh, Rogue Nation and Fallout um, because we just couldn't pick between the two. The reason I chose 
Rogue Nation as my favourite. As I said to you, I thought when we got to Mission Impossible 4, Ghost Protocol, was when they went from being really good to being fucking brilliant. Yeah. But then Rogue Nation like blew me away when I saw it. I absolutely fucking loved it. I was just like, this is next level shit. This is so, so good. And I think that Fallout is equally as good, but I think because I saw number five first, so therefore I loved number it Number five first. was a surprise. Yeah. Because I saw number five first, that it had to be my favourite because it was the first one that just like proper blew me away. Number four blew me away and I didn't yeah. think that they could get better. And they did. But I think that they maintained a level with number six. That yeah. makes sense. But a really no, good I level. I think, for me, like, two is probably, like, three star. And then the other ones are all, like, four to five star out of five. Um, probably three and four, three and one are four. Four is four and a half. And then the <laughs> other two are five. numbers now. Four, four, four. Four, 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 four. Um, but, yeah, they're just... It's just... I just don't understand how some people don't like them because people are yeah. oh fucking Mission Impossible films I mean we'll probably get on it more on the general Tom Cruise thing but obviously there's a lot of people that have a hatred of Tom Cruise for some unfathomable reason it's just they set out to make an action film but with with a plot with a story not just except for two um, just to entertain people I say that's exactly it Tom Cruise's thing is and say so, like this series, it's just about I want to entertain. I want to put people in places that they wouldn't go. I want to, I want to actually jump out of a plane so people can see that and feel mm. it, rather than just oh look, there's a CG guy or there's a stunt double who looks nothing like Tom Cruise, and it just it just comes off how enthusiastic he is about the franchise. So reading up on it, um, number four obviously introduces Jeremy Renner. The original plan was he was going to become Ethan or not become Ethan, but he was going to take over and Tom Cruise was going to leave in five. But then he was just like, fuck it, I enjoy it too much. Yeah. And I, th- I think it will literally be his death that will stop him being in a Mission Impossible film. Yeah, probably. Possibly due to a stunt in a Mission Impossible film. Don't say that. Um, but I can't see him becoming like the Alec Baldwin character and being like the guy in charge. He's always going to be Ethan. He's always going to mm. be on the, f- on the front line with a mask on, hitting that button right at the very last second. I mean, one bit we didn't cover, I think it's Mission Impossible 4 where he hits the button and shouts, mission accomplished, as yeah. he hits it. But they haven't fixed it yet, so it doesn't actually stop. Because there's a bit with... Because Luth, the only other person who's in every film is Ving Rhames's Luther. And he's only in four right at the end. And he's literally just going, you actually said mission accomplished. And yeah, just a lovely little touch. Cool. We're all done. All done. So that's our uh, impossible mission of putting the Mission Impossible films in order. Wasn't impossible, was it? Because we did it. Well, no, we didn't. We disagreed. Maybe yeah. it is an impossible mission. Possibly. <laughs> Impossibly. As long as this building doesn't self-destruct in five seconds. Yeah, Dan's little mixing desk self-destructs. I mean, the way he stores the cabling, oh I wouldn't be God, surprised. Oh God, you need to get over the cabling. That's what I hear about. I'm the one who always sets it bloody up, though. Yeah. You just I... swan in after I've set it up, going, "Oh, you're going on about the cables again." Uh, that's because you're demanding fifty cups of tea and a pile of biscuits. Some kind of crunchy snack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had biscuits and crisps in between pods today. <laughs> <laughs> um, and celery. No, of course, he'd never eat celery. How very dare yeah. you. If you saw Terry, you know he's never eaten celery in his life. Um, uh, right, anyway, up. 
Right, we're done with this. We'll be back. Uh, thanks for listening, of course. Thanks, yeah. thanks to everyone thanks for getting who got in touch, in touch yeah, um, with your Mission Impossible feedback. Um, very much appreciated. We'll be back next week where we're going to do our Snog, Marry, Avoid Tom Cruise films, yeah. which was also an impossible mission. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Terry, could you do the social media stuff, please? So we are Theatrical Cut Pod on Instagram. I am Prefax on Instagram and Sonia is Mallory underscore watches. We are available on the Facebook, which you can search as Theatrical Cut Pod or just Theatrical Cut. And also, if you want to get in touch, let us know anything you want to talk about. We are theatricalcut at gmail.com or obviously Facebook messages. Yeah, and the mother pod is T-M-T-O-O-H on uh, Instagram, Instagram and, and Twitter. Twitter. And they're on the Facebook as well. Um, that's it. Thanks for listening. Like Terry? the fuse. Mic drop. Mm-hmm.